morning, everyone. So glad everybody could be here. Wasn't it strange weather this morning? It was still and humid and weird when I got up this morning, and now it's cold and windy, so I don't know what's going on, but some of you back Easterners brought something with you, I think is what happened. <laughs> well, we, we ordered that weather so you'd feel welcome. Let's stand together, if you're willing and able, and let's sing, How Majestic Is Your Name, O Lord. some praise to the Lord this morning. How majestic is his name. Amen. Amen. Has anybody seen Jasper around here? There he is. He was standing behind Alice and I didn't see him. <laughs> you may be seated, please. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Just a quick announcement. Homeless ministry this coming Saturday, February 25th at 9 a.m. if you are interested to help. Just uh, approach uh, Larry McFarlane. And to those who are watching online, once again, we have additional room for smaller setting. We have room 108, where you can watch uh, on TV live. And to our guests, if this is your first time, welcome to Tusamano Baptist Church. And once again, we encourage you to fill out our guest registration card. And we hope that you would enjoy worshiping us with us today. Shall we pray? Our loving Lord. We praise and adore you, Lord, for your greatness. As we worship you, Lord, today, we ask that you will give us a humble heart that we might surrender everything to you, especially the things that hinder us to grow in our relationship with you as our Lord and Savior. And we ask, Lord, for your blessing and use each one of us today to edify one another in love, in faith, and above all, in our relationship with you as our Lord. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Continue to hide your servant at the back of your cross. And we ask, Lord, that you will continue to touch our hearts, that we might uh, live a life in obedience, and above all, a life that glorifies you, a life that exalts, exalted your name as what your word says, that you will be exalted above the earth, in heaven and the earth. And we ask, Lord, that you will continue to help us not to leave this place and change but with a desire to know you more and to serve you more. Lord, we bring back all the glory to you in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read.
read a scripture for us this morning. Our theme this morning is God's grace, something we never get tired of talking about or singing about. And this scripture is Titus 3.7. There are so many scriptures that would glorify God's grace, but I chose this one today. It's just simple and to the point. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. Is that not our hope? Eternal life through God's love and forgiveness. Christ Jesus gave himself on the cross, died, rose again so that he could be our Savior, pay the price for our sins so we could become children of God, heirs of heaven together. And I, one day, this reminds me of this every time we have a memorial service, one day we will be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our loved ones who've gone on before. And that is such a joy. Let's not forget that. We shouldn't have to wait till a memorial service to think about it, right? Because we're going to be going to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our fathers and mothers and children and whoever have been uh, children of God that have gone on before. And that is such a joy as we celebrate God's grace. Okay, let's sing together. This is a powerful song. I was saying to the group this morning, this is like a sermon and an invitation all in one song. Grace greater than our sin.
God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And I tell you what, there's sometimes that our sin personally in our own life and our own mind can feel much greater than even God could forgive. But God promises that he sent his son so that all who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That is the promise we must hold on to to have the strength and the joy and the peace that God desires to give us. Trust in the word of God that it is true. <clears throat> As we're singing about grace, um, well, I, I'm not going to ask the question now because it's already on the screen. I was going to say, what, what, what song comes to mind more than any other? Probably Amazing Grace, right? Yep. Written long ago by a man who was once a slave trader and became a child of God and a preacher and a teacher. And he used one of the old saloon songs or tavern songs of the day that everybody knew <coughs> as everybody knows it today. They knew it then as a tavern song. We know it now as a song of praise to God's grace.
as we thank God for his grace. We're going to sit down, and um, in case some of you are new and don't realize who Lucy is, she is our elusive pianist, <laughs> always traveling around somewhere, never know where she's going to be. Just just called her the other day, and she's like, I'm driving through the mountains. I might cut out. I don't um, she's going to play and sing a song for us today. Beautiful. The sky shall to face in all of his 
Can you imagine meeting Jesus face to face? Jasper's got a video. Well, that wasn't on my cheat sheet. Back when I was a kid, I thought gifts from God only came from church. But the more that I live, the more I learn. It's not always the way it works. Sometimes you don't see it till you're looking back. When you didn't get what you thought you had to have. Cause he had a bigger plan than the one you had. Yours didn't work out. And aren't you glad? When you take a look around, it ain't hard to find. Everybody's got things and money can't buy. If the ones you love are sitting right beside you, then I say you gotta lie. The best things in life. Day is done. 
God only came for church. But the more that I live, the more I learn. It's not always the way it works. Sometimes you don't see it till you're looking back. When you didn't get what you thought you had to have. Cause he had a bigger plan than the one you had. Yours didn't work out, and aren't you glad? When you take a look around, it ain't hard to find. Everybody's got things that money can't buy. If the ones you love are sitting right beside you, do not say you gotta lie. The best things in life are straight from his hands. Like raising kids on a piece of land, a little peace of mind when the day is done. Where you think that comes from, that's gifts from God. Oh, yeah. It makes you thankful for the hills that we climb, for the ways that we ride, for the lows and the highs, for the wrongs made right, for the songs we sing, for the dreams we dream, makes you thankful for everything. When you take a look around, it ain't hard to find, everybody's got things that money can't buy, if the ones you love are sitting right beside you, do not say you gotta lie. The best things in life are straight from his hands, like a ring. You know, you guys were sort of picking on Jasper about being a small stature, but he's got a big heart. Good morning, Tucson Mountain. <coughs> Are you all ready? Are you sure? I'm probably going to say some things today that are going to upset some people, step on some toes, make some people mad, hurt some feelings before we're all done. But you know what? God is good. Amen? Amen. This, to the millennium and beyond, to infinity and beyond, Toy Story, come on, come on. Revelation, chapter 20, 
verses 1 through 6. This is a helicopter ride today, guys. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to live and reign with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. What does all this mean? I left you guys with some questions last week. I hope you did your homework. We see this picture of the idea of Christ coming and reigning. He is king and king and Lord of lords. We know that. We believe that with all our heart as believers. He's going to govern everything. And we need to remember, this is going to be a perfect world in this thousand years. So as we think about this, I want you to remember some things. There are some questions about the resurrection and the binding and loosening of Satan that we're going to have to answer to completely understand some of this. Understanding what we're going to see in these passages today is very, very important for us to know and understand in order to survive and tolerate, there's that funny word again, everything we're living in this world through right now. But I think it's very, very important. We have to understand it in the world we live in today so that we can have internal peace, so that we can just live and deal with all the things that are going on in the world we live in. The three main views, I left you with these last week, of the thousand-year reign of Christ. And the, I said, I told you these were all biblical views. We have to remember to have the humility to know that we don't understand all there is to know. But we should probably thank God for that. You know, I'm not sure I want to know everything there is to know. The premillennial view. This is that Christ comes again, sets up an earthly kingdom for a thousand years and remains on this earth. And I left you with that first question. Why does there need to be a thousand-year reign? The second one is a post-millennial view. This is probably held by the least amount of people. This is the one where we talked about that the world was going to get better and better and better over time, and then Jesus was going to come. We don't see that happening, and the likelihood of it happening based on what we're seeing is pretty m minimal, if at best. Things that God has to say about the tribulation time and revelation that we've been reading don't add up to that. And then there's a third view, the amillennial view. That means no millennium actually exists and are that we are living in the millennium times. It's what's happened between Christ's first coming and what's happened between Christ's second coming, and we're it. We're in it. In other words, it's what's happening right now. So you have these three views. So what these three views are really saying, think about this. Is this a representation for us as Christians of what's happening to us today? Or is this a representation 
of what's historically going to happen in the future. Now, as we, as we look at this and we unwrap this a little bit, you, hopefully you're going to get a particular viewpoint on this. Now, listen, I'm probably going to leave you with more questions today than I do answers. I'm not going to lie about that. All this is culminating, and, it's, and it, it, it comes to a climax in these last few chapters where you're going to have to make a decision in your mind where you stand. But the second question I left you last with last week is what is God telling us is going to happen at the end time through these three views? And that's sort of what we're going to unfold today. We've talked about a lot of interesting facts in these first 20 chapters, in these first 19 chapters. But a lot of people get so caught up in arguing with each other about their different viewpoints that they forget the real point or they miss the real question. The real questions are these. Why is there a thousand-year reign? Why is God doing that? Why is there a first resurrection and a second resurrection? And how does this all tie together? Well, hopefully we're going to answer those questions today. But you know what? We have to look at something that's a, that's a real specific indicator first. I think we have to look at this specific thing. It's sad. For those who do not know Christ, and it's rather scary for those who do not know Christ. There's a second resurrection. There's a resurrection that's going to come first, and there's a resurrection that's going to come second. But the Bible teaches in end times, everybody's going to be resurrected. Everyone's either going to be resurrected to life, or they're going to be resurrected to death. And the problem is, if you're resurrected to life, where are you going? If you're resurrected to death you're going to hell. And that's not a place we like to think about. But that's what Scripture tells us. There's a resurrection at the end of all this that everybody's going to have to go through. So some of you sitting there may be thinking, well, which one am I going to be in, the first resurrection or the second resurrection? Hopefully I'm going to answer that question for you. Another question may come to mind, am I, am, which, which am I one, that, which resurrection am I going to be in? Am I going to have to be in the first one or the second one? Or is there another one? No. Let's think about what God's telling us. In John 5, 28 and 29, Jesus taught about this. He says, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. I want you to pay close attention to the wording on some of this. There's dual meanings in some of this. Some of this is talking about physical life and death, and other he's talking about spiritual life and death. And as we transition back and forth to these, I want you to pay attention. A time is coming when all those in their graves will hear his voice and will come out. Those who are done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. The Bible teaches that everyone at the end times is going to be resurrected. There's going to be that resurrection to life and a resurrection to judgment. The Bible addresses the first and second resurrection. Let's think about this. Jesus taught in the first resurrection that those believers were going to rise and those spirits of those who didn't know Christ were going to sort of be in a holding place. 
Now, we've read about that place in the Old Testament. It's called Hades or Sheol. So as we think about that, Christ says he's going to wait until the absolute final judgment for everyone after that thousand-year reign for everyone to be raised to death. Stick with me for a minute. What remains a real mystery is that death is not the great leveler of all mankind. Death is actually the great divider of all mankind. Because if you think about it, when we reach our death, we're either going to heaven or hell. And in the Old Testament, there's a chasm between the two, right? We've read about that. Here in the millennium reign, we're going to see this picture. This, this image is going to come into our mind's eye prayerfully. When you read about the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18, through 18, it says this. Brothers, again, pay attention to the wording. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, you need to underline that, we who are still alive, again, double meaning, physical and spiritual, who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. Underline the dead in Christ. Again, dual meaning. Stick with me. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Listen, the Bible teaches about the resurrection. So here's where it's going to get really confusing. Allow me to really confuse you. All right? If you believe the rapture happens and that there's a time of tribulation and then a thousand-year reign, that will mean that the scripture is teaching only that those who become Christians during the tribulation period are resurrected then. But what happens with that? A bunch of us are there already. What happens to all the people that died before that rapture comes? Those Christians. Are they hanging out in heaven? I hope so. <laughs> then there's an alternative view. If we're all resurrected and then there's a thousand year reign, if we're not in heaven, are we on earth? Are we on the perfect earth? Think about this for a second. The earth that Jesus is on and reigning, are we with him then? What happens when the new heaven and new earth comes down? Are we just going to transfer over there? I think these questions should remind us that we have to be humble. And we have to realize that we don't know all there is to know. And you have all these pundits that say, this is absolute, that's absolute. I don't see how they can tell me it's absolute. 
all right, to be very honest. Here's the thing. If you try to figure out all the details about this, you're going to become more and more confused. God hasn't given us all the details for a reason. That's where faith comes in. I have to trust God with the details of my life while I'm here on earth. If I can trust him with the details of my life here on earth, I can trust him with the details to get me to heaven. I shouldn't be trying to figure out the when and the where and the how because that's up to him. And even Jesus said he didn't know the when. We learned about where Armageddon's going to happen. We learned about where we're going to get to go. But, you know, there's just some things that we really don't need to know. God hasn't given us all the details because we don't need all the details. Do you need all the details when you go sit yourself in an airplane to fly somewhere else? Do you need all the details of how all that stuff's working up there with those pilots? Do you really want to know all the details about what's going on up there? I don't. But we place our life in the hands of that pilot and that co-pilot and those individuals that are on that plane. Why can't we place our hands, our life in the hands of Jesus? You know, we do a lot of things. If you think about it, we do a lot of weird things that to us is logical. But when it comes time to give our lives to Christ and to rely on him and have faith in him, we become illogical. Listen, we're going to, the things we need to concentrate on and keep our focus on is we should be fully satisfied that he's taking care of all the details. I don't need to. As Christians, we shouldn't worry about what God's going to do with us and for us. We don't need to know for now. We don't need to know any of that stuff to live this life. We're going to live with him. This, what we need to focus on is we're going to live with him forever. We're going to have a resurrected body. We're going to be able to live for eternity. We should be able and can and trust him with the details of all that. The fact that I don't have all the details means there's going to be some great surprises in store. There are some things that God has planned for us up there that we might not be able to do on this earth. But he's going to bring those things to fruition once we get there. We're going to have a perfect body. And not the perfect body like the world tells us we need today. But a perfect body according to God's plan. Just think about reigning with Christ. Think about ruling with Christ. Think about spending time with all the other saints. He's going to assign us something to do. We're going to have responsibilities that are going to have influences and impacts for eternity. What those things are, I can't tell you. But Scripture says we're going to have those opportunities. And we're going to have those responsibilities to take care of. They're going to have eternal impacts. That's why I think we need to know about the first and second resurrection. The second question I left you with is... Why is there a millennium? A thousand year reign of Christ. Whether you believe that you're premillennial, postmillennial, all millennial, you guys do know there's a fourth millennial, right? Pan millennial, it's all going to pan out okay. <laughs> whatever view you take, whatever view you take. You have to think about why is God doing all this? 
Well, I think there's two specific reasons there's a millennium. One is so that he can fulfill all his promises to his people. He can fulfill all those promises to his people. Some people believe it's just for the promises of the Jewish nation. Others believe it's just for the promise of Christians, his church. But you know what? I think it's a combination of both. I believe that he's going to take the time and the opportunity to fulfill all the promises that he made to all his people. His chosen people, the Jews, and his church, the body of Christ. We exist so that they would make the Jews jealous. And we're here for a reason. They're there for a reason. But you know, Craig reminded us yesterday about the power of prayer in our men's prayer meeting and prayer breakfast time. There's one prayer that's going to be answered during that millennium period. And that's, Father God, I pray that your will would be done on this earth as it, in hev- as it is in heaven. And it is going to be. The prayers from under, this, under the altar, from all those martyrs, that's prayers are going to be answered also. Because Craig reminded us again yesterday that when they threw down that censer filled with the incense on the earth, that the prayers of those under the altar was already starting to be answered because justice and judgment was coming upon the earth. But they're going to be fulfilled in this time, completed. But the second thing I believe God is doing is he's showing us the terrible nature of our sin, just the terrible nature of sin in, in general and the terrible damage it causes. There's a thousand years of peace. There's a thousand years of blessing. There's a thousand years of Christ's rule on this earth. A thousand years of Satan being bound and shut up and locked up and having no influence on the earth. But yet, what happens? The minute he is released, people start to follow him. That is a problem because that just shows us the influence of sin. Here's the deal. Why would God allow a thousand years of peace and then release Satan at the end of that thousand years and all these people start to follow him again? It shows the nature of sin. He's trying to show us what's going to happen at the end times. We have a fallen nature. Listen, it's not like we can say like Flip Wilson used to say, well, the devil made me do it. Because the devil wasn't there. But yet, that sinful nature is still there because we're still there. We're inherently evil, according to Scripture. And if there's nothing in the whole wide world that displays this and shows this more readily, it's this thousand-year millennial reign of Christ and then the unbinding and the loosening of Satan. Because what takes place is all of a sudden, these people with their evil hearts and their evil minds are following Satan. Here's the problem. Because we have evil hearts and evil minds, we really do need Christ to save us. But there's a lot of people out there that don't think that or believe that or realize that. We have this fallen nature. Listen, our minds are deceitful. Our hearts are deceitful. Our nature is deceitful. It's hard for us to believe that we can have that kind of fallen nature. It's hard for those family members that you talk to, maybe people on the street, maybe co-workers, 
to believe that they have that kind of fallen nature. But this is, this is the evidence of it. I look at my life sometimes and I think, how could I have been so selfish? How could I have got so angry about something so silly so fast? But we see it in our lives and we have to understand that that is the problem. Why couldn't I let go of those thoughts? Why couldn't I just not do that sin? Because it's part of our nature. Listen, we need Christ to forgive us of our sin. And we need Christ to love us and save us. If you ever think you don't need him, this should be the physical evidence. If you're ever st starting with this problem of, of your nature or people telling you, well, I'm not a sinner, I'm not bad, you, you take them to this and explain this to them. The world during the millennial reign is going to be a perfect place. But yet, during the time of tribulation, the world's falling apart. What do they do? When the world's falling apart, the people blame God. When they have a when they have a, a thousand year reign of peace, what do they do? The minute they are freed, or Satan's freed, I should say, to come out and be amongst the people and influence them. They follow Satan. We've got a sinful nature. You remember the old analogy, nature versus nurture? You remember what that is? I think I put that on your outlines. That, that old argument, it's a long-standing debate in biology and society about the balance between those two competing factors, which, which basically determine our fate. It's genetics, nature, versus environment, which is nurture. It says that nature is what people think of as our pre-wiring or hardwiring. It's genetically coded into us. But nurture is, is our upbringing, our ex life experiences, our basic environment that we're brought up in. But you know what? Here's the problem. Nurture is generally taken as the influence of external fac factors after our conception. Meaning that we're the end product of the exposure and the experiences we have in life. But the real fact is we're a combination of both. And our nature is inherently evil. And that's settled in this. It's our nature. It's not our environment. It's our head and our heart. And we need a new heart. Ezekiel eleven nineteen reminds us that he's going to take out our whole stony heart, our cold stony heart. And he's going to give us a heart of flesh. But that's a process. It's going to be an instantaneous change of heart. But we learning how to work with that heart is going to be a process. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And he wants us to live the kind of life with that new heart on a new heaven and a new earth. You know, during all this battle is taking place, we see some information about Gog and Magog. And I didn't give you a long, drawn-out thing this week. I selected certain passages from Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I want to read those to you, and I just want you to listen and absorb this for a minute. They're not, it's not all of 38 and 39. It's just certain passages. But I want you to hear some of the things that 
Ezekiel talks about versus what we're seeing in Revelation and how these things tie together. So listen carefully. Son of man, set your face against Gog, the land of Magog. Prophesy against him. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed, and a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords from the far north with all its troops and many nations with you. Get ready, be prepared, you and all the hordes gathered about you, and take command of them. After many days you will be called to arms. In future years you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They had been brought out from the nations and now live in safety. You and all your troops in many nations will go up, advancing like a storm, on that day, thoughts will come into mind, and you will devise an evil scheme. You will say, I will invade a land. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people. I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the people gathered from the nations, rich in livestock and goods, living at the center of the land. You will advance against my people Israel like a cloud that covers the land. In days to come, Gog, I will bring you against my land, so that the nations may know me when I am proved holy through you before you, their eyes. When Gog attacks the land of Israel, my hot anger will be aroused, declares the sovereign Lord. In my zeal and fiery wrath, I declare that at that time there shall be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the beasts of the field, every creature that moves along the ground, and all the people on the face of the earth will tremble at my presence. The mountains will be overturned, the cliffs will crumble, and every wall will fall to the ground. I will summon a sword against Gog, Every man's sword will be against his brother. I will execute judgment on him with plagues and bloodshed. I will pour down torrents of rain and hailstorms and burning sulfur on him and on his troops and on the many nations with him. I will show greatness in my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they know, will know that I am the Lord. Then I will strike your bow in your left hand and make your arrows drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel you will fall, you and all your troops and all the nations with you. I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and wild animals. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in safety on the coastlands, and they will know that I am the Lord. I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profaned, and the nations will know that I am the Lord and the Holy One of Israel. Listen, it is coming. It will surely take place, declares the sovereign Lord. This is the day I have spoken of. Then those who live in the towns of Israel go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up. The small and large shields, the bows and arrows, the wars and clubs for seven years, seven years, remember. They will use them for fuel. They will not need to gather wood from the fields or cut it for the forest because they will use the weapons for fuel. They will plunder those who plundered them and loot those who looted them, declares the sovereign Lord. Son of man, and he's talking to Ezekiel, not Christ. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Call out every kind of bird and wild animal. Assemble them together from all around to the sacrifice that I am preparing for you. A great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel. They will eat the flesh and drink blood. They will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of princes of the earth as if there were rams and lambs and goats and bulls, all of them fattened animals from Bashan. 
At the sacrifice I am preparing for you, you will eat the fat until you are glutted and drink blood until you are drunk. At my table you will eat your fill of horses and riders and mighty men and soldiers of every kind, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will display my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see the punishment I inflict (coughs) and the hand I lay on them. From that day forward, the people of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. I will be proved holy through them in the sight of many nations. We need to think about that. Even at the end of time, as we know it, God is in control. God is going to be in charge. You know, when I see what's going on in the heart of men and I hear about things that's taking place in the world today, it saddens me. At first it frustrates me and it angers me and then it just breaks my heart because we see it taking place and, and it brings me to a point where I have to ask one question of myself. What am I going to do about my sin? I propose that question to you today. What are you going to do about your sin? How are you going to change your heart? How are you going to change your mind? How are you going to listen to what God's word says to you? Moving on. Verses 7 through 10. Now we see Satan's demise. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them for battle. In number there like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet have been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then moving on to 11 through 15, we see the great white throne of judgment, and it leaves us with more questions. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and the dead in Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The dead were judged according to what they were done. Wait just a doggone minute. Aren't we supposed to be judged according to our faith? Aren't we supposed to be judged according to whether we accepted Christ or not? Yes, you are. But here's the thing. We're not dead. Stick with me. Again, spiritual death, physical death. Listen for the variations. Here in the book of Revelation, it says the dead are going to be judged according to their deeds. Does that give you the idea that somehow, some way, maybe we as Christians are going to be standing in this line waiting for that judgment to take place? Let's think about this. We're not going to be in that line because we are alive. We're alive in Christ. John 5:24 talks about this. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me 
has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Listen, you can only make that decision when you are physically alive. But when you are physically alive and you make that decision, you become spiritually alive. So you are no longer dead. You are alive in Christ. Now the problem is, most of the time we don't act like it. We need to start acting like it. We need to start believing it and living it out, fleshing it out, if you would, to the rest of the world. It's an ongoing process, I understand. But if you're not sure if you're alive or dead in Christ today, we can help you with that. We don't want you to leave here doubting that you're alive in Christ. Right now, passing from death into life, Jesus, we, we say, you know what, Jesus, I, I want to enjoy my life with you. I want to live my life with you. I don't want to be dead to you. I want to be alive to you. We're not going to be standing, think about this. We're not going to be standing in this line of a billion people waiting and worrying, uh, did I make it? Um, man, you know, here we go. We're waiting in this line. We don't have to deal with that. Because God says we're alive in Christ. You've already passed from death into life. That truth, unfortunately, is only true for us as believers. It's only true for those who have made that decision to accept Christ into their life and to live that life the way he planned for us to live it. We're not going to be in a line waiting for judgment. We're going to be in another line waiting for our rewards. And that's something we should pray God's about. I don't want to see anybody standing in that line of judgment. I pray that you don't either. And if that's the case, then we need to get busy. I'm thinking of a campaign. I'm thinking of an evangelism campaign. And that means those of you that are willing, and even those of you that are weary, need to be involved. I'll share it with you here in a few weeks, maybe. Listen, he's given us eternal life. He's paid the price by, the, by his precious blood. There's no doubt about the quality of our lives are going to change when we get a new physical body, a resurrected body, but the quality of our life should have changed when we accepted Christ as Savior. We should be willing and ready and able to serve in whatever capacity he sees fit. And sometimes I had to tell a couple of people this week, listen, if, if you try something, if you work in a ministry and something doesn't work, it's okay. Call it an experiment and try another one. Don't call it a failure. Nothing's a failure. Listen, we have to think about what if Jesus had a, had a photo montage? Not as good as Jasper's probably because he, 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 he was showing us some beautiful pictures. But what if Jesus had a photo book? And we think about that photo book like this. The wedding supper of the lamb, Jesus is the groom. And he's the one who loves his church, which means he loves us. And in the second coming of Christ, Jesus is the Lord. He's the one with all the power for all eternity. And what about the millennium? During the millennium, he comes as king and Lord of lords. 
And then he rules over the entire earth. He does it so perfectly, which is absolutely right. But then the fourth picture we see is the great white throne of judgment. Jesus is judge. All these pictures remind us of something. The wedding is the proof of his acceptance of us. His acceptance of us. We need that today. We need to simply realize that he loves us and he gave his life for us and he accepts you just the way you are. But the second picture again is of Savior and Lord. It's our proof of his victory in our life. And it's proof of his victory over the world to come. We need that today. Remember, no matter what happens, what's been done to you this week, what injustice you feel like you may have suffered, Jesus is victorious in the end, and so are we. Then we see the thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennium. That's proof of his ultimate authority. That's proof of his authority. No matter what happens in this old world or the world to come, God is still in control. And then the fourth picture, again, the great white throne is just proof of his judgment and his justice. He is just. We may not be, but he is. We live in an evil world, and there's a lot of people that are evil-minded and evil-spirited. But that doesn't have to be true of us. There will be a day when that great white throne of judgment, everything's being made right, and Jesus Christ will have the absolute last word. Let's pray. Father, based on the picture that we painted, I am just so glad and thrilled that you accept me the way I am. And that you desire that deep and wonderful and compassionate relationship with me. And I know you have that same passionate desire to have relationships with every single one of your children. I know many may be here today and they, don't, they haven't been feeling very accepted lately. But all they have to do is cry out to you, Lord, and say, I want to live that relationship of love with you to make that fresh commitment with you right here and right now. Jesus has the victory at the end. Even though things may be falling apart all around us each and every day and seem to be getting worse, we know that you are in charge. Whatever's happening here is not the end of the story. It's not the end of your story. It's not the end of our story. Jesus has the authority and he will do what he wants to do and what he needs to do at the end to protect and love his bride, which is the church. All of these bodies of believers around the world, his will will ultimately be done on this earth. His justice will prevail. Father, we love you and we praise you. I thank you for accepting us as, as weak and wounded as we are. I thank you for loving us the way you do. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, that they would surrender that to you today. And if there's anyone here that maybe has done that but has never followed through in believer's baptism, 
that would be willing to come forward and share that with us and we make arrangements to have that done. If there's anyone here just looking for a church home, maybe they've been a guest in our presence for a while, maybe they've been coming, but they've just never been in a church family or they've maybe they've been in another church family and they've just recently moved into our area. We make that offer an opportunity for them available today. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what all of it means to us. And we pray that you would just heal our hearts and minds and keep us together, physically, mentally, and spiritually. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can, would stand, please. Please be seated for just a moment. You know, one thing that's always amazed me about God's Word is it doesn't hide sin. It talks about various sins in people's lives and various problems in people's lives. And there's some things that have been happening over the last month or so that have really burdened my heart and they're, and they're bothering me. And I know it's supposed to be inappropriate to share your dirty laundry in public, but I think we need to, to share a little bit of dirty laundry in public. And um, it's, it's really been a burden on my heart, that's all I can say. And I'd like you just to listen. I don't want anyone to respond. Don't want anything said, good or bad. Um, 
but and I wanted I want the video running because I want this recorded. Um, Proverbs chapter six talks about something. Starting in verse 16 in chapter 6, it says, There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, a hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife amongst the brothers. There's been rumors flying around, and we need to correct them because they're really bugging me, because they affect me, and they affect you as our body, our family, and our brothers. The first one is, is I'm retiring. I, I didn't say anything about retiring. My problem is, I'm hearing all these rumors, and I can't, my, my typical stance is to go back through and talk to people I hear the rumors from, and track it down to a source and say, where did you hear this? And each person I go to, you know, who told you this? Well, I, I've hit a wall, and I've come up to a place where people say, well, I don't, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. I'm not getting anybody in trouble. I'm just trying to stop the rumor. But here's the problem. I'm not retiring, all right? I have no intention of that. Wait, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Please, please don't. Just listen, okay? No response, just listen. Number one is I've been hired by another church. Okay, I, I, gotta, I gotta be honest. I have been approached by two other churches. Um, shh, shh, please, 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 please. Um, another, two, two, two other entities have approached me and I had a third opportunity come about for some additional training to do something else. I'm gonna tell you what I told them and please don't respond, just listen. You're my church family. You're, this is my church home. I'm not going anywhere, okay? And I'm not doing that, all right? So that's what I told them, all right? So let's put that rumor to rest. There's another rumor going that Pastor Jasper and Iris are, are leaving soon, okay? Pastor Iris, or Pastor Iris, Pastor Jasper and Iris are not going anywhere until maybe next summer. We're going to have to rally around them and pray for them because they have immigration problems from the Philippines. We may have to work diligently and, and help cover the cost of an immigration lawyer for them. And I think we should very definitely do that when the time comes, but we're not quite ready to do that. We'll let you know more as this progresses. All right? So I'm not retiring. I have not been hired away by another church. And... The other rumor that's been going around, this, this bothered me somewhat, is the pastor search committee has been working for two years trying to find another pastor. Okay, number one, they were not chosen and decided upon until July 17th of last year. They were only commissioned to do the job on July 30th. Okay? So they've been only been working about six months. And we told you guys, if you'll remember, this process could take two or three years. We told you at the beginning of all this. So they've not been working two years. So you need to not be mad at them about taking the time that they're taking. Now, my understanding, Brother Al, you're sitting right there. You're, you're, you're involved in both the committee as the alternate, correct? 
and you are our head deacon, correct? My understanding is that very soon, in the next couple of weeks, I'm holding you to it, Al, <laughs> that the deacons and the pastor search committee will meet to discuss what's going on because we want to have communication between everybody, all right? So hopefully within the next couple of weeks, you'll get some more information. But we need to stop the rumors. If you hear a rumor and, and, and I've had little birds flying in my window, it's driving me batty, <laughs> all right? Stop the rumors. Wherever they're, coming, wherever they're coming from, just say, hey, if you don't know that for a fact, maybe you shouldn't say that. Be nice, be kind, be gentle about it, but if you don't know it for a fact, did you hear that from the horse's mouth? Okay, especially when it comes about me. Because it it's not fair to you guys for those rumors to spread, and it's not really fair to me. All right? And I love you guys as brothers and sisters in Christ. You are my family, but we need to squelch the rumors. All right? No matter where they're coming from. Okay? All right. With that said, I want you guys to continue praying for Pastor's Church Committee. Pray for the deacons and trustees as they meet with the Pastor's Church Committee. And let's see what they come out of the room with. All right? All right. Isn't it great to have such talented singers and instrumentalists? I think that's awesome. <laughs> and with that, we better have our last songs when we get out of here. Thank you again, Lucy, for that beautiful special. That was beautiful, wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, so glad you were with us one week out of this month. <laughs> and, um, you know, Satan will try to always uh, sow discord among the church, God's people. So we'll continue to pray in unity and love to serve the Lord and trust God to work his will in us. Let's stand together and sing. Count your blessings. Don't forget this as you go this week.